Jonathan James teaches at a Bible college. Uh, There should be a picture hopefully coming up on the screen of him. Uh, A few weeks ago, he sat in on that empowering leadership intensive that a a, a few of us from church went to in Sydney, and it was nice to see him. He taught uh, Jen and I at Bible College uh, a while back, and before teaching uh, at Bible College and shortly after practicing as a veterinary surgeon, Jonathan and his family, they they moved to Ethiopia, uh, where they lived among a nomadic cattle herding people group and were seeking to share the good news of Jesus with them. Uh, He and his family, they they lived in a shipping container for a time. Uh, They learnt the local language. They turned that language into a written language. And then they translated some of that language into the Bible. Uh, As they lived among this people group, uh, Jonathan, he he realised that they would give each other derogatory names as a a way of endearing themselves uh, to each other. And so he changed his name and he introduced himself as elephant dung. Interesting thing to do. Interesting character, to be honest. How do we share the good news of Jesus with those around us? We're obviously not missionaries trying to reach a nomadic people group in Ethiopia, but we are missionaries in that, that broader sense, as Jen said, those of us who trust in Jesus. Jesus, he sent his church to go and make disciples. It's something that we do together as a, as a team. We represent our God to those around us in our workplaces, in our school communities, in our sporting groups, in our neighbourhoods, with our friends and families. How do we go about making Jesus known to the community that we live in? Well, this afternoon, as we look at Paul and the team's model of ministry from 1 Thessalonians, it comes to us possibly as a defence against the critics. But it also functions as a wonderful example and one actually that impacts the way that we do church here in Bagara all these years later. But in terms of a defence against the critics, you recall the historical context. Paul and co, they were smuggled out of Thessalonica because those jealous Jews organised a rabble and caused a riot. We read about this in Acts chapter 17. Jason and some other believers, these new believers who welcomed Paul and and Silas and Timothy, they're getting in a bit of trouble. They're being brought before the magistrate for uh, for their connection to the gospel. And so we might picture those, those early believers facing opposition from the jealous Jews. And maybe the jealous Jews, they're getting in the ear of those new believers. Paul and the others, they don't really care about you. Where are they now when things get tough? Where are they to answer our, our accusations? When things get difficult, they, well, they just ran away. They don't care about you. Paul is just in it for the coin, the money. Like all of the other travelling preachers of the day, they don't care about you. It's possible that what we have here in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians is a defence against those critics. But also it's a wonderful model for us to follow as we prayerfully seek to reach 
our community with the good news of Jesus. Maybe you noticed as it was read, uh, the main defence is really just who they were and how they lived. Paul points the Christians at Thessalonica to what they already know. You notice this in verse 1? You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Verse 2, you know. Verse 5, you know. Uh, Verse 9, you remember. Verse 10, you were witnesses. Uh, John Stott says, happy are Christians who exercise their ministry in the open. Nothing to conceal, nothing to hide, but open and transparent. You are our witnesses, says Paul, Silas and Timothy, as they defend their ministry against the critics. As a model to follow, though, if your Bible's there, you just look at verse 2. This is challenging. It says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. In spite of being stripped and flogged, and thrown into prison in Philippi, with God's help, they dared, they were bold enough to speak again of this risen Jesus and tell the Thessalonians of him. It's just brave, isn't it? At the very least, it's brave. Sometimes we may not speak up. Uh, We could even actively avoid opportunities to speak of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it out of fear of opposition? Uh, The loss of social credibility, perhaps, or or some other thing. I've heard people say, uh, I'm not going to speak of Jesus. I won't tell people about my faith in him. Not with words. I'll just live a life that's different and I'll let my life do the talking. I'll just live a life that's different and let that speak. Uh, our lives should be different, shouldn't they? Uh, But it must be both, mustn't it? The gospel of Jesus proclaimed and matched with a life of integrity. When someone, I don't know if you've noticed this, we haven't done it for a while, but when someone becomes a formal member of our our local church here, we, we get them up the front and we ask them some questions. The final question that we ask is, is this. Uh, Are you willing to suffer for your faith in Jesus? It's challenging, isn't it? As as opposition, uh, in terms of our cultural moment, it is likely to, to hot up more and more as time goes on. Are you willing to suffer for the faith that you hold? I don't like suffering in any way at all. Uh, But we're to be a community so committed to living out and communicating the good news of Jesus. We'll do it in spite of any opposition that it may bring on. And just as Paul and the the crew, uh, they couldn't do this on their own. It's the same with us, isn't it? It's be bold in sharing Christ with the help of our God. 
But notice as well, as Paul continues, the great motivator, it's in verses 3 to 6. Paul says, look, we're not trying to trick anyone here. This appeal, come and join us in trusting and following Jesus. There's not some hidden agenda or impure motive. There's to be no manipulation, not the use of flattery, that's out, or even a mask to cover up greed. No, none of that. See verse 4, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And so I guess we could say from this that the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ lives with God in the grandstand, so to speak. He's the one who's watching us. He's the audience that we have in mind. He's the one we care about as we go about our day-to-day lives. His opinion is the one that matters. He's the one we're seeking to please. Not, not people. Uh, Jen and I watched a bit of that uh, documentary, uh, Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan. It's on Netflix. I think we just watched the first hour. It's worth watching. Uh, it's a, a great doco and someone said of him that he was always on uh, he always played as though it was his last match uh, do, you, do you call it a match in I don't even know uh, game anyway it's basketball or whatever uh, and so this person was saying if some kid came along to the stadium for the first time they were watching the famous Michael Jordan they'd never seen him before They wouldn't go home disappointed. Oh, Jordan wasn't on tonight. You know, it was a nothing game. He didn't switch on. He didn't score many points. No, he was always on. Now, I don't know that we can picture Michael Jordan playing basketball, trying to delight a little child in the grandstand, thinking, imagine if it's his first game and he's never seen me play. But the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... We play every day. We live all of life for the smile of our Heavenly Father. He's the audience that we have in mind. We're not trying to win his approval. We already have that in Jesus. We're his children, loved and secure. But it's his opinion that matters more than anything else. Having been entrusted with the gospel by God, Paul, Silas and Timothy, they say in this letter, we live to please him, not people. And it's got to be the same with us all these years later. God, who knows even our hearts, we live to the audience of one for him. And that's not to say that we're insensitive when it comes to people or that Paul Timothy and Silas were. Do you notice Paul began with the negative, uh, what shape their ministry did not take, free from those unworthy methods. No flattery, not seeking glory from people, not after material gain, not on some ego trip seeking power, not using trickery, all that stuff, no. In verses 7 to 12, he shifts to the positive. 
At the end of verse 6, he says, while we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ, verse 7, instead we were like young children among you. We were gentle among you, you see in your footnote that some manuscripts have it. And he goes on in verse 7 and 8, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. It's a big thing to say, isn't it? I mean, he's travelling around and he's been to so many places, but he's saying this about those people in Thessalonica. The nursing mother, life revolves around that child. doesn't matter the time of night. It doesn't matter how tired mum happens to be. She gently cares for that child. Paul goes on, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you the gospel, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, I hope if you've been a part of church for a little while, you may know this verse by now. Now, This is the the model of ministry that we are trying to implement here at Bagara Presbyterian Church. We want to share the good news of Jesus with those around us in the context of relationship. When you truly care about someone, it's difficult to not share your life with them. It's not loving, is it, just to tell someone the gospel and have no relational investment. God invites us into relationship with him and relationship with each other. And that's in part why we often eat together as a church, opportunity for relationship, the sharing of life. Church doesn't end with that final song. It's in part why we have a break, that awkward break in the service. Yeah, sure, the kids can get organised. But it's an opportunity to relate, isn't it? And I know some of you hate it. I feel awkward too. (laughs) It's in part why we organise our small groups during the week, the the way that we do, not not just looking at the Bible in that non-relational way, but eating together and praying together and hopefully, hopefully having fun together at times too. It's in part why we join nippers and and soccer and tennis and footy and lions and bobbin and lace and why we run a paint party or a Friday night card game. Sharing our lives with the people that we want to reach because we actually care about them. We care about you if you're feeling like you're overlooked We care about each other. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? You you memorise this. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Um, Jenny Salt has a a, a podcast called Salt, Conversations with Jenny. Uh, There should be a picture. If you're looking for a new podcast, this, this one's worth trying out. It's sort of a bit like, you know, ABC conversations. It's just Jenny interviewing someone and, and finding out about their story. Uh, in a recent conversation, she interviewed Anthony Bramall, uh, who plugged a book that he's, he's recently written, uh, and also tells of his time as a, a missionary in Indonesia. Anthony taught at a, at a Bible college uh, over there, 
And when it came time for him to, to leave Indonesia and come back to Australia, his students said that they wanted to give him and his family a gift to mark the moment of, of him going home, their departure. We've been thinking about what we'd like to do for you as, as you leave for Australia, they said. We'd like to come to your house on Saturday morning. We'd like to spend time studying the Bible and praying and, and singing. Uh, we'd then like to have lunch and after lunch spend more time uh, in the Bible and praying and, and singing. Uh, then we can have dinner at your house. And then we'd all like to stay the night at your house. He's going back to Australia the next day. I, I, I don't know if you imagine that to be fun. A, a crowd of students sleeping on your floor just before you, you head home. But Anthony said it reinforced for me a truth that we'd been learning while in Indonesia. And he quoted 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's it's when someone shares their life with me that I know they actually care about me. And it makes the gospel feel all the more real, authentic. Wouldn't you say? There they are in Thessalonica, Paul, Silas, Timothy, off the back of being knocked around in Philippi, yet gentle like children, caring like a nursing mother, sharing the wonderful news of Jesus in the context of relationship, working hard not to be a burden to those that they were trying to reach, verse 9, living with integrity, verse 10, and like a father deals with his children, or at least as a father should deal with his children. Verse 11 and 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It's some model of ministry, isn't it? It's beautiful. And you see that the defence against those possible critics is just the ministry itself. You know who we are. You know how we lived among you. You remember you're our witnesses, as is God. And as the saving message of Jesus is proclaimed in the context of relationship, you see verse 13 and 14, we have Paul, Silas and Timothy thanking God continually for when they proclaimed that word, the Thessalonians received it, not as the word of man, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in those who believe. And so those Thessalonians joined in suffering, For the gospel and those jealous Jews uh, giving them a hard time, verse 16 and 17, Paul reminds them that they're set to face God's judgment. Anyway, I wonder if you can identify in some way or another with my experience. I was sitting out there in the car park. Well, not this car park. It was a, a different school. Uh, I was sitting out there in the car park. It was a Sunday morning. Uh, 
and I was about 20 years old, and I was thinking, what's this one going to be like? Uh, it can be a scary experience, can't it? Walking into a new building for the first time, especially if it's a, a church service you're going to. I was a Christian, but I was still figuring out what all of that meant, having just moved out of home and, and to a new city. And the minister, you know, the guy up the front uh, was speaking, and uh, he seemed a bit strange, a bit emotional, uh, Greek or Italian, I couldn't, I, I didn't know. The kind of person who would go in for a hug when a handshake was more than appropriate. Uh, but he preached from the Bible, which I thought was good. Uh, and the people, you know, they were friendly. And so I thought, well, I'll go back there next week. And I was walking to my car. Mark came rushing out enthusiastically, and he invited me around for lunch. And I had my my first Greek salad, and I was connected to that, that local church. The gospel began to make more and more sense as I was loved and cared for, as it was communicated in the context of relationship. And there's that Jonathan James, what was it, elephant dung, living in his shipping container. And there's Anthony Bramall in Indonesia with those students on his floor thinking, I just want to go home. And there's Mark sharing his Greek salad, Paul's model of ministry. You know how we were among you, he says to the Thessalonians. And so like, I think, well, what do we do with this? Well, what are you going to go home and do with this? I wonder, is it just simply a reminder to invest in relationships? The exhausting yet delightful action of walking with people, loving them and pointing them to Jesus. Or is this a reminder for you to live with God as your audience? That it's his opinion that matters? An encouragement to speak about your faith with those around you, boldly with God's help. How do we, how do we share the good news of Jesus with those around us? Well, this is a good thing to do, isn't it? So why don't we pray and ask God to help and get on with it? Let's do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this beautiful model of ministry that we see in 1 Thessalonians. And Lord, we, as we reflect, Lord, we thank you for the people that you have used in our lives to help us know Jesus and be growing in him. Lord God, we pray that you would help us be bold with your help to speak of our Saviour. Lord, give us wisdom to know what to say when. Give us courage. And Lord, we know we need your help. Lord, help us to have integrity. There's nothing to hide. Help us be clear and loving Help us, Lord, be like children and the nursing mother and sharing life, like the the dad urging, encouraging, caring for those around us. Lord, we pray that your gospel would ring out from us 
And we pray that you would bring many into the kingdom. Mighty God, by your word and spirit, continue your good work in us. Carry it on to completion as you say you will. And please, God, be adding to your number day by day those who are being saved in our region. Mighty God, we praise you that in Christ we are forgiven, that we died to sin, that we are risen, and that spiritually speaking we are sitting at your right hand. And we thank you that one day Jesus will return and we'll see you face to face and spend forever with you in heaven. We pray all these things in his great name. Amen.